Ryland says he's out of here. <laughs> Can you imagine for a second if the real, the film reel of your life was shown to everybody publicly? The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Try it again, sister. There we go. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. Well, as we approach the seventh chapter of Joshua, we find that it opens with a very ominous word. On page 198 on the Bibles in front of you, you're going to find that chapter 7 in Joshua begins with this one little word, and the word is, but. One sad reason that we use that little word, but, is to drive home the reality that victory is often followed by the threat of defeat. So for six chapters now, Joshua and God's people have had a series of victories. But. But now out of nowhere, they are facing a string of failures. Israel has just experienced perhaps the most dramatic victory of all, but now they are preparing to experience defeat. The gladness of victory is now going to be replaced with the gloom of defeat, and get this, all because of the disobedience of one man. The entire nation is preparing to face defeat because of the disobedience of one man. You know, in a day of when churches and preachers don't like to preach about the elephant in the room, today I want to share with you and remind you of the devastating effects of sin. In Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, But, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel. And he spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. And so about 3,000 men went up from there to the from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So here we find that Joshua has sent out spies into a town called Ai. 
And the spies return, and they tell Joshua, hey, it's not necessary for you to send out the whole army. Just send out about two or 3,000. That's all you're going to need. And normally, normally, that would be true. But this time, get this, God was not with them. God was not with them. The entire army, quite literally, had to turn around and run away from the soldiers of Ai, and 36 men lost their lives in that battle. Now, that may not seem like, it seemed like a very high casualty rate for an army of 3,000 men, but what I, you need to know here, and what's important here, is this is the only defeat recorded in the entire book of Joshua. Furthermore, it's the only report in the entire Bible of God's people being killed in battle. It's pretty important. So, what caused this defeat at Ai? Maybe they overestimated the power of Israel. Maybe they underestimated the strength of their enemy. Maybe they forgot to pray. Maybe they were resting on the laurels of their victory over in Jericho. But you know, even after we read and we study about this defeated AI, God's people today still rush off. Rush off without taking the proper time to consult with God. We rush into major decisions in our life. Decisions that affect us and affect those whom we love. And we don't even consult the Lord. And then when it goes wrong, when we're defeated, we wonder, what happened? Could it be that you didn't seek the Lord's consultation before you went? When Joshua sends troops to take Ai, he was unaware of one thing. God was very very upset about something. And you have to wonder, had Joshua spent just a little more time consulting with God, maybe God would have revealed that to Joshua and 36 men wouldn't have lost their life. Can I tell you that many people in this room could avoid personal failures if we would just take our plans and our concerns to God in prayer first. But we're just like Joshua. We're just like these Israelites, and we rush off into battle without consulting God first. I want to encourage you to spend time Consulting with God before you ever make a decision that has a major impact on you or on the lives of others. You need to know where God stands on the decisions you make in life. So, God tells Joshua the reason for the defeat at Ai. And the reason for their defeat is their sin in the camp. One of the soldiers, a soldier named Achan, saw all the riches in Jericho. 
And he decided that he was going to keep some for himself instead of destroying it like God had told him to do. So today, we're going to consider the destructive effects of Achan's sin. But you're also going to see the destructive effects of your sin. Number one, sin affects others. Your sin affects others. No one's sin is just his own business. Your sin always affects others. It don't matter how secret it is. It don't matter how private it is. The effects of your sin spill over into the lives of other people. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your children. Maybe your church. Sin always affects others. You see, disobedience to God is a very contagious disease, and it has serious effects on one's family and the whole community of believers. My sin cannot be isolated from you. Your sin cannot be isolated from me. Sin corrupts. And what is done in private has a very public effect. So because of the defeat, it was very obvious that God was no longer with his people. And without understanding the cause, the people of Israel became very confused. But rather than examine their own lives, rather than saying, I wonder what I've done to cause this defeat, they begin to doubt God. And they begin wondering, maybe we should just run away from all this. Maybe we should run away from the promises of God. So the leader, Joshua, lays his face down on the ground and prays for a whole day. And in that prayer, Joshua begins to express his confusion and all the sadness that he felt in his heart. Let's read in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads, a sign of repentance. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God. Why have you brought all this people over the Jordan at all? To just deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had just been content and dwelled on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say to Israel when it turns back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut us off and they will cut your name off from the earth, then what will you do for your great name? I wonder if Joshua was wondering, man, I have really let my people down. I wonder, did Joshua uh, blame himself for the defeat at Ai? I wonder, how, how are the people going to follow me now that I've led them into defeat? 
And so Joshua begins to gripe and to moan and to groan. Anybody ever in here griped before? You better all raise your hands. Y'all ain't that righteous, amen? We've all griped to God. But here's something important you need to know. Complaining to God is different than complaining about God. Complaining to God is different than complaining about God. God wants you to complain about complain to Him, but don't get caught dead complaining about Him. One thing that Joshua is genuinely concerned about is the effect that all this is going to have on the name of the Lord God. If the Canaanites are victorious over God's people, what is that going to do to the great name of the Lord God? Just listen to the Lord's response in verse 10. And so the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Can you hear the sarcasm in his voice? Get up! Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have taken of some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and also have put it amongst their own stuff. Now I like it when God talks plainly, amen? They took some of the stuff of the Jericho, and they put it with their own stuff, amen? Verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were doomed to destruction. Get this, neither will I be with you anymore. God said, neither will I be with you anymore. But praise Jesus, the next word gives us hope. Unless. Unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up! Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. Oh, Israel, you can't stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So, God commands Joshua, rise up, boy. Rise up. Rise up from your state of despair and prepare for action. It's time to get with it. You can't lead my people while you're moping around about past defeats. Got to turn your back on the past defeats, get up, rise up, and let's move on. Prepare for action. And God told Joshua, I am holding the entire nation accountable for Achan's sin. How about that? The entire nation of millions of people is being held responsible for the sin of one man. And I want you to look how God describes the sin that was committed against him. He says they violated the covenant with him. They were guilty of rebellion, of theft, of lying, and deceitful hoarding. And because of these sins, the Israelite soldiers were overrun by the soldiers of Ai, and the people of Israelite had to tuck their tails and run. 
Friends, can you imagine hearing this? I will be with you no more unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Let me put it in modern terms. God says to his people, I will be with you no more unless you quit watching that trash on TV. I will be with you no more unless you quit being a bad influence. I will be with you no more unless you give up this lazy attitude and start serving the Lord your God. Friends, I can't tell you how critical it is to have the presence of God in our midst. And nothing should scare you more. Nothing should scare you more than God telling you that unless you deal with your sin, I will be with you no more. It's a very sobering thought. It seems that many churches today have the same exact problem that God's people did in Joshua chapter 7. We wonder, why is God not with us? Why is God not with us? Could it be that there's sin in the camp? Is God absent because we as his people are unwilling to remove sin from our lives? I don't think I have to tell you the answer to that. We know. Verse 14. In the morning, God said to Joshua, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall accompany the families, and that the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who has taken the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done this disgraceful thing in the nation of Israel. So God gives us some instructions about how they pointed out the culprit. God will first point to the tribe, and then he'll point to the, the family within that tribe, and then he'll point to the uh, household within that family, and then he's going to point to the man. The man who sinned against God. Now I wondered as I read all that, uh, I wondered, why in heaven's name would he go through all that? Why not just point out the man and say, he did it? Well, as always, God never does anything without great purpose. And this method would impress upon every clan in the nation, every family in the nation, 
every household in the nation, indeed every man in the nation, just how serious this sin was. But not only that, it also gives the guilty party an opportunity. It gives the opportunity for the, the guilty party to immediately confess their sin and to repent if they only will. Think of this. Had Achan immediately confessed his sin and truly repented, he and his whole household might have been spared the wrath of God. You see, sin affects others. But also, you can be assured that your sin will be uncovered. In verse 16, Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought the clan of Judah, and then he took the family of Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and then he brought the household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold that weighed 50 shekels, I coveted them. And I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver over it. We read there that Achan confessed his sin. So why wasn't Achan off the hook? He admitted it. I did it. Why wasn't he off the hook? Because he confessed to it only when he was forced to. Only when he was found out they already knew. I wonder, would he have confessed had he not already been discovered? I don't think so. See, there's no such thing as secret sin. No such thing as a private sin. Trying to hide sin is such a foolish thing. Just look there in verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was. Hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. You remember about the old drunk husband who came home late one night. He came home, snuck up the stairs quietly, and he was looking in the bathroom mirror, and he was bandaging up all his bumps and bruises that he had had from a barroom fight that night. 
And then he climbed into bed and he was smiling because he thought he got one over on his wife. And when morning came, he was laying there and he opened his eyes and there stood his wife. And she said, you were drunk last night, weren't you? And he said, no, honey. And she said, well, if you weren't, then who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror? <laughs> Trying to hide sin from God is just like putting band-aids on a mirror. Psalm 139 teaches us that sin never escapes the watchful eye of God. Numbers chapter 32 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will be uncovered. Always. But one thing we should point out here is that sin is very enticing. Back to verse 20. Read this with me. In verse 20, in verse 21, excuse me, Achan confessed and he said, When I, look at me. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, look at me, I coveted them. Then I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. See, Achan described the things that he took from Jericho as spoils. Back in that day, wealth that was plundered from an en enemy was considered, amen, it was legitimate reward for participating in the battle. But the wealth of Jericho was not spoils. God had given very specific instructions to the Israelites, telling them to abstain from all the accursed things. In other words, plunder was prohibited. You couldn't take nothing for yourself. Everything in the city, except Rahab and his fam or family, everything was to be burned and dedicated to the Lord. But while a few fellow soldiers were gathering up the gold and the silver and the bronze to come and burn it and dedicate it before God, guess what Achan was doing? He was getting him a little bit to go bury in his tent. Now when you read that, that tells you something very important. It tells you that Achan hid the plunder. Achan hid the loot. Achan hid the money. Achan hid what he took. What does that tell you? Listen. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't have hid it. He knew what he was doing was wrong, and the loot that he buried was basically about $25,000 worth in today's money. This was significant. He hid the plunder. And then we noticed the process of sin. The process of sin that Achan described is as old as sin itself. In verse 21, Achan saw it, he coveted it, and he took it. It happened to somebody else in the Bible. A young girl named Eve in the Garden of Eden. She saw the fruit. She saw that it was looking good. And she took it. Same thing happened to David in his sin with Bathsheba. 
He saw her from the rooftop. He coveted her and wanted her for himself. And he took her. The sin that began in the heart spilled out into other people's lives. Now friends, listen carefully to this. Because sin will tempt you. And sin tempts you beginning in your mind. That's where it starts. It begins in your mind. But then by the grace of God, you have the power to confess it while it's still here. Confess it while it's still a thought and reject it. Get this, before you do it. While it's right here, confess it, reject it, and choose there and then not to do it. You have that power within you. And if you don't, if you don't do that, what you thought, what you thought was a secret sin, will ultimately become a public sin. It happened with Achan. It happened with Eve, and it happened with David. And I guarantee you, it will happen with you. And if you don't, confess it and reject it while it's still a thought, then you will reap what you sow. And you know the three laws of reaping. We reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. But you better believe you're going to reap what you sow. Sin is very enticing. But finally today, I want to remind you, as if you didn't already know, that sin has consequences. All sin has consequences. Sin wouldn't, sin wouldn't be nearly attract, as attractive if you knew what you were getting yourself into beforehand. Amen? If you knew what the price was, would you do it? Ain't no way. I look back on the sin of my life. I said, man, if I only knew then what I know now. Amen? I would have never, ever done it. Let's read about the consequences to Achan's sin in verse 25. Excuse me, verse 24. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, and brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, till there, and it's still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Pretty serious consequences, amen? Achan, his whole family, 
All his possessions were taken outside the camp and they were stoned to death and burned. Now, if you look in verse 24 again, you'll notice that Achan had a lot of possessions. And he had a lot of oxen. He had a, a lot of sheep. And he had a lot of donkeys. Man, Achan was a wealthy man, according to the standards of this day. So what does that tell you? Achan's theft was not inspired by need. It was inspired by greed. He saw it, he coveted it, and he took it. So when you look at the, Aiken, or the consequences of Achan's family, are you like me, tempted to complain? Man, that's unfair. Achan's whole family? What about that poor sheep? He didn't do nothing. What about that donkey? What about their sons and daughters? They didn't do nothing. Why did Achan's whole family have to pay for his sin? Well, in the ancient world, the family was viewed as a whole. And Achan was the head of the family. Achan was like the tribal chief, amen, of the family. If Achan prospered, the whole family prospered. But if Achan suffered, so did the whole family. Sadly, we, in our day and time, take a very tame view of sin. Our problem is, is that we look at sin and we say, man, that ain't no big deal. That's our problem. You know it and I know it. Sin ain't no big deal. We don't understand God's anger. Why is he getting so tore up over one little sin? What's, it, what's the deal with God's anger? See, sin don't bother us that much, does it? Let's be honest. But God says, I don't want a single trace of sin to remain. Not even a trace. Achan's entire family was to be stoned along with him so that no trace... No trace of that sin remained among God's people. And then, of course, that lasting monument was constructed over Achan and his family. And the valley where this monument is located is called Achor. And it's interesting here because the word Achor means trouble. Achor, Achan, trouble. Look in verse 25. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord's going to trouble you this day. So as a direct result of one man's sin, one man's sin, 36 soldiers died unnecessarily. As a result of one man's sin, the entire nation melted in fear. As the result of one man's sin, Joshua, the leader of the nation, began to question God. As the result of one man's sin, God himself 
threatened to withdraw his presence from his own people. As a result of one man's sin, he and his whole family were destroyed. Sin ain't that big a deal. I think sin's a pretty big deal, don't you? Sin affects others. And be assured that your sin will be uncovered. And I want to assure you that sin has drastic consequences. Therefore, we must take drastic measures to avoid it. Now, we know that we are imperfect people. And we know that we have this pronounced sin nature. We know that we struggle with sin day in and day out. So what's God going to do about it? Well, the Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were, get this, still sinners. Still sinners. Christ died for us. He made provisions while we were still sinners. But he goes on to tell us that in him, in Christ, we who were once slaves to sin now offered freedom. Forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ according to the riches of His grace. So you don't have a relationship with God and you've got the same sin problem that we all have. God wants you to know that He has made provisions for you through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Now you may say, Bill... I've already placed my faith in Jesus, the Son of God. But I still have this sin problem. What am I to do? As believers in Christ, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it while it's here. Reject it while it's here. And don't do it. I'm telling you, it works. So one way or the other, you're going to have to deal with your sin. One way or the other, you have got to deal with your sin. There's no secret sin. One way or the other. And unless you deal with your sin, the promise of God is He will not, He cannot be present with you. Today is your day to deal with your sin. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I'm telling you today that the Bible says that sin can be dealt with once and for all by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. But we want a sanctified life, a life set apart to God. So even as believers, the Bible says we have to confess that sin, reject that sin, and bring it to Him. One way or the other, I want to encourage you today to deal with your sin. Let me pray.